human beings, and especially in the body of Christ, that everything that you and I do in some way produces a reflection of God, and he gets glory from it. Everything, even the crappy, stupid things that you and I do, somehow, some way, on a big scale, God takes these things, as broken as they seem at the beginning, and he pulls them together, and he makes something beautiful out of them. Matter of fact, in the scripture in Corinthians last week, we read this amazing scripture that I hope will give you hope tonight. It says, right now, we see things imperfectly. It's like looking in a cloudy mirror. But someday, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. You know, last week we talked about this timeline that you and I live on right now. And we had some posters up here, and one of them it said, The Anointed Arrival. And it represented the coming of Jesus. We talked about how momentous of an occasion that was for Jesus to literally come to the earth and how everything changed. And then we talked about this poster that was over here that talked about his triumphant return. That someday, the Bible says soon, Jesus is going to come back to this earth and he is going to finish the process that he started when he came and established his church. But if we're honest Right now, where you and I live, sometimes like that scripture in Corinthians, it says that we see things like in a cloudy mirror. Sometimes things just don't make much sense. The situations of our life sometimes don't make much sense. And if we had a chance, you're in mine, our wisdom, our thinking, we would wipe the slate clean. We would take everything from our life and we would just start over. We would just be done because we can't see how things sit right here, right now that it can turn out good, that it can turn out into something that makes any beauty or makes any sense. And we talked about this picture right here behind me last week. And we talked about how sometimes we see things from a real dark standpoint. And on this picture right here, this is a photograph and it's a negative. And you can see all of the darkness in it and how you can't see really much detail and you can't see much light. But when you look at this picture, it's dark and you can't make out the the, the complete understanding of what you're looking at. And we talked about what it is to pull back the picture negative and be able to see it clearly and how what we see and what sometimes we think It's not always correct, and it's not always accurate, and it's not always as it seems. And as we look at life sometimes, we realize that every detail of our life is being developed from the negative, just like that photograph. That you can't get the beauty, you can't get the detail, you can't get that crisp understanding of everything until you've gone through some hard times. And just like the process of bringing out the beauty of a photograph, you've got to go into the dark room and you've got to let the process happen in your life. You've got to go into that place and sometimes it's just hard to see that picture clearly until you've gone through it, until you've gone through what it is that every single one of us has to go through. You know, in the book of John, we have been dissecting this passage of scripture that, that is a, it's a conversation between Jesus and his followers. And there's, in John chapter 14, a lot of things that Jesus lays out and says to his followers 
because he recognizes that his time with them is short. And so he wants to be able to instill within them and be able to impart to them some very, very important understanding and things that they need to know. I don't know if any of you have ever been through one of the situations that are just really, really hard to go through as a human being where somebody that you love is, is very sick and is, everybody knows is, is going to die. I don't know if you've ever been around that situation, but I've had close friends who have told me when the reality of the shortness of life sets in, it changes everything. And they begin to just savor the moments. They begin to get together and, and let the, the simple things, the unnecessary things, just fall by the wayside. And what's really important becomes those last moments, those last spoken words, the last memories together. It's hard for us to go through those things, but as human beings, we all understand the gravity of that situation and how important it is to not waste any time. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's understanding that his time is short and his followers, they aren't getting it. They don't understand how necessary it is for them to just zero in their focus and just listen intently to every word that Jesus speaks. And in the middle of this heavy conversation, Jesus tells them some things that they have to know. And one of the things that he says to them is found in verse 12. He says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. He goes on and he says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. He says, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, Obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will come and never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. In this short little part of their conversation, Jesus gives them two absolutely crystal clear promises. The two things that Jesus says to them that I want us to understand tonight is that the first thing is that these guys had seen some crazy, crazy miracles. They had seen lives changed. They had seen dead people literally breathe life into and stand up and come out of their state of being dead. They've watched people that were crippled literally be able to walk with legs that didn't work, blind eyes that could see. They saw Jesus walk across a lake that was stormy. They watched him walk on water. They saw crazy things. And Jesus in this passage says, the things you've seen me do, you're going to do even greater things when I leave. Are you kidding me? Absolutely nuts. Jesus is telling these guys, greater things are yet to come after I leave. But the second promise that he tells them that absolutely in their position they couldn't understand is he says, I'm never going to leave you. I will never leave you alone. Now, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. They had been following Jesus, some of them for many years now. They had been listening to his teaching. They had been trying to wrap their minds around this concept that the God that created the universe came down and is now eating breakfast with them. 
They're trying to understand how all this works. They're seeing this guy perform miracles. They know that they're still jacked up and making mistakes everywhere, and Jesus is walking around behind them trying to keep them from hurting things and people, and, and they're just not getting the whole picture. And Jesus is now saying, okay, guys, class is over. I'm about ready to leave. Are you guys ready? You got it, right? And they're like, no, we don't have it. I don't know about you, if you've ever been in that situation where you've had to, to learn a new position at the job and they put you into it and they train you and they, and they just do a really quick you know, job at it and you feel totally, totally overwhelmed and totally like you don't know what you're doing and then they hand you the keys and they walk out and say, okay, good luck. These guys are probably feeling like this right now and Jesus lays this on them and says, greater things you're going to do after I leave. And they're just like, we don't even get it, man. How are we going to do greater things? And they start to, they start to have to put themselves in this understanding of what has happened. They, the God of the universe has brought the kingdom of heaven close to them. At, at one part in the story, Jesus actually tells them, I want you to go out into the cities before I get there. And this is your training, guys. I'm going to send you out into these cities, and when you get there, I want you to declare something for me. I want you to tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is coming close to you. That's what I want you to tell them. I want you to go and I want you to plant the seed in their heart that God is getting ready to come, and he's going to walk with them, and he's going to come into where they live. The kingdom of heaven is near. And so these guys go and they do that and they begin to see that literally God is using them in their humanity, in their brokenness, and all of the things that take place. But I want you guys to understand what was really going on. What was really taking place is that the God that created the universe was putting into place his plan of salvation that was going to completely change where you and I live today. Jesus was taking the gospel and he was entrusting it to mere men. I've got a friend who, several years ago, had a vision, a dream. And his dream for he and his wife was to start a Christian high school. If I were to say his name, many of you may know him in this room. Um, his name is Dan and Beth Lambden. And they actually were my teacher when I was in high school. I've known him for many, many years. But a long time ago, Dan and Beth started talking about this idea of wanting to create a school that discipled kids, that brought them close to God. And I remember talking to them, and I remember getting to hear their heart and hear their vision and how excited they were and how passionate they were. And as time went on, they began to um, create committees and different people that wanted to get on board with this. And they started to really get some momentum and people really started to join in the process and really started to help them in the journey. But one day something really, really interesting happened that, that I never forgot. The school started and everything was going great and it was really small. It was really cool. I was actually helping them do their chapel services in the very beginning days. I'd come um, and change my construction clothes and I'd bring my guitar with me to the job site and put on, you know, some nice clothes and go and have a time with these kids every Wednesday morning. And, and it was amazing to see this. But as this process started to happen and as the dream began to come to life and as they started to really see the vision come to pass, Dan and Beth did something that at the time I didn't understand. 
but they basically handed the keys of their vision and their dream, and they handed it to the school board, and they said, we've done our part. And they stepped back from being the ones in charge, and they stepped back from being the ones that made all the decisions, and they stepped back from the limelight, they stepped into the shadows, and they entrusted their vision with people that could take it further than they could. I was blown away because I thought, man, if it was mine, if it was my heart and my vision, it would be so hard to give it away to somebody. And yet they modeled for me something that I've never forgot. They modeled for me that it's God's vision. It's not theirs. And God was the one behind it, making it grow. And as we look at this story tonight, we realize is that Jesus came from God the Father and he had in his heart a vision for salvation to come into mankind. And Jesus comes and he entrusts that vision and that message to mere men, to us. Jesus entrusted the gospel message to us. In the book of 2 Corinthians where we were just at, I want to read one more scripture to you. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this about us. If the good news of God we preach is hidden Well, it's hidden only from the people who are perishing. For Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news or the gospel. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who really is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this same light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ. Now, we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars but we contain this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We carry this great treasure in jars of clay. Clay jars that are fragile. It's really interesting to me That the plan of God that was perfect in all of its ways had at its core, had at its its main deal putting something so beautiful and something so valuable as the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, putting that message in us. 
The Bible says here that we're jars of clay, that we're, we're fragile clay jars. Clay. I don't know if any of you guys remember kindergarten, but Play-Doh, that was some fun stuff. It's like you can manipulate this stuff. You can roll it around, put it on a newspaper, throw it. I mean, Play-Doh boogers the whole nine yards. It was like so much fun. But Play-Doh, it's so soft. It's so easily manipulated. Think about it. Clay is so easy to just smash step on, make it feel flat as a pancake. And this scripture says that you and I are clay, and yet we hold this amazing treasure. I don't know about you, but there's something about that that really resonates true because sometimes I feel smashed like a pancake. And I feel so fragile, and I feel so easily broken. I feel so easily just thrown on the ground. And yet this passage says that we hold it. We hold the valuable treasure of the gospel. Really what it says, really at, its, at the crux of it, it says that the power of God, that the message of God is not about the container that holds it. It really says that the message of God, that the power of the gospel has nothing really to do with those who walk around holding it and carrying it and speaking it. It really has everything to do with God. It's really not about us. It's not about us. Now, how many of you have ever felt this before? I can't go to church. I can't go and, and, and do the, the right things to do right now because, man, look at what I've done in my week. Look at what I've been doing with my life. Look at how many times I've blown it. Look at how many times I've fallen on my face in name whatever sin it is that you battle. And the, the struggle inside of us becomes what? I'm not good enough right now. Right? We feel like I am not good enough. I'm dirty. I'm, I'm broken. I'm ashamed. And I'm not good enough to be able to act like a Christian or to be able to act like I can walk through the doors of a church or to be act like I've got something to offer anybody else. My friends, the gospel does not depend upon you. The gospel changing a life does not depend upon your perfection. It does not depend upon your faithfulness. It does not depend upon you knowing the Bible. It doesn't depend upon you praying every day or doing the right things. The gospel doesn't have anything to do with us. And that is the mind-blowing essence of the plan of salvation. That God came into brokenness and came into us who the Bible really says were dead. And he began to make us come to life from the inside out. Now I want you to think about this for a second. If you were to walk up to... This is going to be really morbid, but you guys know how I think. So if you were to walk up to a dead body, seriously, I know it's gross, but if you walked up to this corpse and you looked at it, would you in your minds, I think, you need to get up and do something with yourself, man. Look at you. You're rotting. Get up and do something. No. There's no life in it. And the Bible says that when we come to Christ, that's the condition that we're in. 
I know we think that we've done so much with our lives. I know we think that we're busy and that we're doing so much and we've got these, you know, whatever. But deep inside where we really are, the real us, there's nothing there. And the Bible says that when God comes in, he breathes life into us and he plants himself in us. The Bible calls it the seed of God, the sperma of God. And it begins to breathe and grow life from the inside out. Now, if we were to take that same corpse and we were to go to him and we were to hook up the whatever and shock his heart and psh, all of a sudden he starts to shake a little bit, he's not going to jump up and start running in circles. I'm telling you, it's going to take a minute. He's going to have to shake himself. And some of you are coming to life right now. You're coming to life. God has taken you and he has shocked you and he has put himself in you and you are coming to life and the gospel is starting to grow and you are starting to feel something that you've never felt before. My friends, let it have you. Let it take you. Let it consume you. Let it do what it is supposed to do. Because I am convinced that when that life starts to happen, it starts a chain reaction. It starts a process in us. And when you start to feel things that you haven't ever felt before, you begin to talk about it. And you begin to believe in it. And you begin to share it with other people. I'm convinced that the power of the gospel to change us, it can never fully be realized until we give it to somebody else and watch it change them. My faith in the gospel has been grown so much by watching the lives of the people that come through here on Saturday nights and watching the gospel grab a hold of them and watching them begin to change from the inside out. It has made me believe in the power of the gospel more than ever watching myself, more than ever seeing how I've come. Watching it happen in you builds my faith. And when Jesus came and he took his plan of salvation and he put it in us, these fragile j clays of jars of clay, these fragile holders that you and I are, he says, now go and live and let it have you. And the true test for you and I of belief in something, the true test of whether or not you believe in something is when you're willing to share it with others. When you're willing to give it to somebody else, you know you believe in it. You know, we just watched a skit with Matt and Andy, and it's a perfect example of, you know, a funny vignette of a guy coming up, and he's a, he's a repairman, and he's got a tool for everything. And Mrs. Jones, who is just all of us, is sitting there asking the question that we all have, how can you fix my broken life? How can you fix what's messed up inside of here? How can you fix the feelings that I have about myself when I look in the mirror? How can you fix the way that I've lived my life and the wreckage that I've got behind me? How can you fix that? And as we watched in this, in this perfect portrayal of how this whole thing works, he doesn't come over to her and say, oh, well, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and oh, I've got a plan for this, and you need to blah, blah, blah. No. What does he do? He just points to Jesus. 
He takes his eyes off of her life and he says, you need Jesus. You've got to fix your eyes on him. In 2 Corinthians, this same passage that we read from, there's more to this little story here that we're reading. And in verse 8, these guys that are talking about carrying this message, they hit home. This is what they say. They say, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we will live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, and so I had to speak. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit as God's grace reaches more and more people. There will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Listen to this in verse 16. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small, and they will not last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. But rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now, they will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. They'll last forever. Life is hard. I don't have to tell you that. Sometimes the seasons of our life can feel unbearable. Sometimes the things that we go through can feel like they will never end and we can't make sense of it. Life is hard. And following Jesus, it costs you everything. It's not something that you can do part way. To follow Christ means that you lose yourself in the process. But the Bible says that when you lose yourself, then you really find your life. And many of us in this room have made that exchange with God. We've come to a place to where we recognize that in my own abilities and in my own strength and in my own understanding of this world and the way that everything works, I can only go so far. And the weight and the shame and the brokenness takes over, and I can't do it. And the Bible says that God wants to know you, and he wants to know that we have that understanding with him. He says, I've sent Jesus to come and speak to you in a way that brings the message of the gospel close. God is near. God is among you. God is right here. Life is hard. 
but we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on him. Because if we look at what is in front of us, if we look, you know, earlier as we were singing, we look at the, what's in our hands, if we look at what our life consists of right now, we've got financial uncertainty, we've got relationships that have been wrecked that we don't know if they'll ever be brought back together, we've got loneliness, we've got addiction, we've got anger, we've got every, every sort of issue that humanity can, can come up with, we've got them all. And when we look at that, we go, I don't want this. And yet, what do we do? We stare at it day in and day out. I wake up and the first thing that I think about is how hard things are. First thing I think about is I got to pay my bills. The first thing I think about is everything that's going wrong. And we stare at it. And the Bible has told us tonight that our troubles, they're temporary and they go away quickly. But the things that are eternal, they're worth looking at. They're worth looking at. They're worth fixing our eyes on. And if you're here tonight, and you're feeling something inside right now, you want to respond to what you're feeling. Because what you're feeling is God. If you're sitting here right now and the words that have been spoken and the scriptures that you've seen have caused something inside of you to begin to move around like that dead body, God wants you to come to life. And you have to respond no matter what it is that he's touching on, whatever it is that he is putting his finger on right now. The Bible says that God draws us to himself. The name of this building is gravity because we believe that there is a force that is so strong. It's the center of the universe. It literally is the love of God. And through Christ, everything was created. And through that love, he continually pulls people to himself. And you can fight it and you can resist. And I watch you do it week after week. I watch you come in here and I watch you be drawn to the presence of God. And you don't know what to do with it. And you come and you just sit and you just listen and you want something more. And then you walk out these doors and for another seven days, you fight against the gravity of God. You fight against giving in to him. You fight against laying down your life so that you can have real life. And week in and week out, you resist it and you're exhausted. Because God is relentless and the love of God will never let you go. And he will never stop speaking your name and he will never stop going to the dark places where you hide. And he will never let up until you give up and until you get on your knees and until you say, Jesus, I can't do it. I quit. And in that moment, he runs to you and he invades your life. And right here, right now, some of you have got to quit. And you've got to get on your knees and you've got to say, Jesus, come. Would you pray with me? God, right now, I pray for every heart in this room. God, I pray for these people that I call friends, these people that I call family. God, I pray for the ones that we don't know yet that have come in here tonight. God, they matter. And they are valuable. And the reason that they are here is because you pulled them in here tonight. You 
called them in here tonight. Jesus, I pray right now that you would take these hearts. God, I pray that you would begin to captivate them by your love. The kind of love that that a father has for his son. The kind of love that a mother has for her daughter. That when they feel your gaze upon them, they would feel safe and secure and loved and accepted. Jesus, begin to bring these people into your heart, into your salvation, into your family. God, let it take place here tonight. I'm going to invite the band to come back up now, and we're going to take a few minutes to close our time out together by gathering around these sacred tables that we have set up. If you've never been here on a Saturday night before, this is, this is something that we do every week because Jesus and his love are at the center of our world. And there is no better picture of the love of God than to be able to come to the table of God and to remember the very expression of his love when he laid down his life for his friends and he has called us his friends. And so as we come to this table tonight and we grab this bread, the Bible says that this bread represents the body of Jesus as it was broken, as we saw on the video a little while ago. And then we dip it in this juice that represents the perfect blood of Christ that was given for us. And then what we do is something very special. We go and we, we kneel or we find a place at our seats where we can get real with God and we can block out every other voice and every other distraction, every other thing that we're wrestling with in life. And we can give God the time that he needs to talk to us and to be able to speak to us. And then we come and we take this literally into ourselves and symbolically we are saying, Jesus, I want to become a part of you and everything you represent. If you're not someone who's ever opened your heart up to Christ, I invite you to come to these tables tonight and to allow this to be your first act of faith, to come to these tables and by faith say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart and I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And the sign of my faith is by taking this bread and this juice and eating it, Jesus, come in to be Come and be mine. Come and be a part of me. I can't think of any other way to invite God into our lives than through taking communion. Would you come?